So the title for tonight's teaching is Coming of the Messenger. Coming of the Messenger. So if you're not there, make sure you grab your Bibles, those of you watching online, and you can be turning to Mark 1. But before we dig into the Word tonight, I want to give you a little bit of background information to just prepare us for tonight and the weeks going forward. So Mark was written by a man called John Mark. And according to historians, John Mark was a close associate of the Apostle Peter. So just kind of keep that in mind. He probably was not an eyewitness of Jesus, but he heard many of the teachings from Peter about Jesus' life. So much of what we're going to read in Mark actually comes from the perspective of Peter. Yet, may we never forget that all of God's word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Everything we read is God breathed to us in the word of God. So John Mark was also a companion of Paul and Barnabas. Might ring a little bit of bell for you. Uh, On their first missionary journey, but he decided on this journey that he was going to depart from them and return to Jerusalem. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us why, but it just says that he decided to abandon their journey. Now, that may seem like no big deal, but later on in Acts 15, we read that this departure on the first missionary journey caused a huge division between Paul and Barnabas. As Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with him, and Paul did not, as Paul had concerns on the first missionary journey that John Mark backed out. And this became, this dissension became so strong between Paul and Barnabas that they decided to part ways. But that is not the end of Mark's story. See, God always is into restoration between his children. We are not given the details of how this happened But at the end of Paul's second letter to Timothy, he writes this, get Mark and bring him with you. Listen to this, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. You see, at one time, Paul didn't even trust Timothy, I'm sorry, Mark, to be a faithful on a journey together. But over time, He proved himself a valuable servant to Paul and the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I tell you that to bring you to the point. This is the same man at one time wasn't trusted by Paul, is now penning the gospel that we are reading tonight. See, of the four gospels, Mark is the first gospel penned. While we are not certain of the date, Mark was written prior to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, probably sometime between 57 and 70 AD. Mark's gospel was written in Rome primarily to the Gentile, so that would be the non-Jewish Roman Christians. And this is probably why we do not find a genealogy of Jesus in Mark's gospel, like we do in Matthew and Luke, because it was not significant to the intended audience, which would have been Gentile readers. Now, hermeneutics teaches us that there is one interpretation of the scriptures, but many applications. So I bring these details to you, right? Who is the writer of the book? Who was the intended audience? When was it written? We're even thinking about what was the culture of that time to help us to properly interpret the author's message. And let me explain it this way. When someone writes a letter to another person, they have one intended meaning of what they are trying to say. So if I pick up that letter 
2,000 years later, right? That's like what we're doing with the Bible. I cannot change what the writer of that letter meant to say. See, there cannot be multiple interpretations of what a particular author wrote. So therefore, there is only one interpretation of God's holy word. So as a teacher of the word of God, and to the best of my ability, in all of the pastors that stand up here in this pulpit, we attempt to explain the meaning of the text and then how to apply it in a totally different culture to our lives. So let me give you an example. As Paul was closing out his first letter to the Thessalonians, he says, greet all God's people with a holy kiss. So that was the culture of that time. Do we today come into church greeting each other with a holy kiss? No, I would say that's not the culture here. Matter of fact, if you do that, it might get you in trouble. I wouldn't advise doing it. See, there was a different culture, so we have to take those things into effect when we're thinking about how do we apply these things to our life. So we make the application appropriate for the culture that we live in. But church, we never dilute, we never water down the word of God. Okay, here at CCM, we stand firm on God's word. The word of God. Because the word we know is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It stands the test of time. So Mark is the shortest of the four gospels with only 16 chapters, and he moves right into the calling of the ministry of Jesus. So now we have some background information. Are you ready to dive in to the book of Mark? All right, here we go. Mark 1, verse 1. It says, the beginning of the good news, and many of your translations may say gospel, about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. So the first thing we look at here is the word gospel means the good news of the kingdom of God and of salvation through Jesus Christ. It is the proclamation of God's power through Jesus Christ to save all who believe. And that's why in Romans, Paul would write, it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. You see, there is power when we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, that is why we're here tonight, because of the good news of the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, if you're taking notes tonight, I do have that on the screen for you. It says, the gospel is the good news of the kingdom of God and of salvation through Jesus Christ. As Paul would write in Acts 4, it says, nor is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other name. See, church, where else would we go for salvation from our sins? Jesus said his own words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Interesting, we read in John 6 that some of the followers of Jesus were departing from him because his teachings were hard. He was talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. So Jesus turns to his 12 disciples, and he says to them, do you also want to go away? Do you want to leave me? And Simon Peter says, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. Where would we go? 
You have the words. See, church, there really, there's no place else for us to go. Jesus is the only answer. Jesus would say in John 16, because we want to remember, in the world, right, we will have tribulation. It's not like, oh, come to Jesus and everything will be fine. That's a false doctrine. Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. What's he saying? I have overcome the world. You see, Jesus has overcome sin, and he has overcome death, that you and I may have eternal life. He has given us the greatest gift that anyone could ever receive. Just think about that for a moment. The greatest gift, eternal life with him in heaven. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, as we read, we start to read verse 2. I find this passage so intriguing because it is so rich in the fulfillment of God's word from the Old Testament. Some of you may have thinking, I thought we just got out of the Old Testament in Genesis. But tonight, we're going to be looking at some passages in the Old Testament that point to the coming of the messenger. Now, keep in mind that God's people had not heard from him in 400 years. They had not heard one word from the Lord. Then God uses an angel to speak to Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist. More to come on that in a few minutes. There are many prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about the coming of the Messiah, but tonight we are learning about the prophecies of the coming of the messenger. That was our title tonight, the coming of the messenger who prepared, prepared the way for the Lord. Verse 2, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. So Mark is actually quoting from two different passages in the Old Testament, word for word. Both Isaiah and Malachi predicted that a messenger would precede the coming of Messiah. And this messenger had a purpose. His purpose would be to call the Jewish people to a spiritually and morally preparation for the coming of the Messiah. Now, stay with me. We are going to cover quite a few verses, but I think this is so intriguing as we see this unfold. Because we know the Bible always interprets the Bible. So we're going to have two passages for you on the screen. That's Isaiah 40, verse 3. It said, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Then Malachi 3, 1. It says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And we will read in a few minutes that John the Baptist was the fulfillment of these prophecies. But it doesn't stop there. Look at this passage in Malachi 4, 5. It says, behold, very interesting, I will send you Elijah. Hmm, interesting the prophet before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So now the question is, how does John the Baptist correlate with Elijah? See, when the Jewish leaders sent priests and Levites to ask John the Baptist if he was the Messiah, they also asked him, are you Elijah? This was his response. 
He says, he came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. Well, then, who are you? They asked him. Are you Elijah? And look at this response. He says, no. He replied. So here we see John the Baptist clearly states that he is not Elijah. So if John says that he's not Elijah, the logical question is, how does he fulfill this prophecy? So tonight, we're going to turn in our Bibles to a couple passages. We're actually going to turn back to Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 14. And here we're going to see the correlation of what Jesus said. So just kind of bear with me a little bit as we walk through these passages, but it's so fascinating to see how the Bible interprets the Bible. So Matthew 11, 12 through 14. These are the words of Jesus. He says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Verse 14. Don't miss this point. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah to come. Interesting words of Jesus. He is the Elijah to come. Jesus says that John is the Elijah of the New Testament. But what does that mean? You see, John was the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We just read the last words that were recorded in the Old Testament. In Malachi 4, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah. And then they never heard another word from the Lord until the angel of the Lord spoke to Zechariah, the father of John, telling him that he would bear a son and call his name John. So we're going to turn to one more passage. We're going to turn to Luke. So we have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So we're going to turn to Luke 1, verses 13 through 17. And in this passage, Jesus will give us the answer to our question, how does John fulfill the prophecy of Malachi? So Luke 1, 13 through 17, I'll just read it through. It says, but the angel of the Lord said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will call him John. He will be joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Verse 15. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Verse 16, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord. Now, here's the key. If you highlight, underline, in the spirit and power of Elijah. Remember, this is the angel of the Lord speaking to Zechariah that he will go forward in the spirit and a power of Elijah to turn their hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You see, this passage reveals to us that John the Baptist was destined to fulfill the role of Elijah prophesied and Malachi as the forerunner 
of the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. See, John would point many of the Jewish people to the Messiah. His ministry, like that of Elijah, sought to bring the people into a right relationship with God through repentance. Interesting. Not a word we hear a lot about today. We'll we'll talk more about that. And I'm just always amazed how the Old Testament always is pointing people, pointing to Jesus the Messiah, the Old Testament. So many prophecies. But tonight, in our text, we are reading prophecies that are pointing to the one who would first prepare the way for the Lord. So just take a moment. I want you to look back in Luke, verse 17. The angel said that John would come in the spirit and power of Elijah. So the natural question would be, what does that mean? The spirit and power of Elijah. So just think about this. John would do the same work as Elijah did for the Lord. He would boldly proclaim the necessity of repentance of sin to corrupt people who had turned their backs on God. Does that sound like our world today? People who have just turned their backs and want nothing to do with God. As I was thinking about this, church, this is a real challenge for us today. Do we, as people, as followers of Christ, do we operate in the same spirit and power of Elijah? Do we have that conviction in our lives? Do we lovingly but boldly proclaim to others the necessity of the repentance of sin? And are we, it starts with me right here, are we willing to repent of our own sin? To really just get down on our knees and repent of our sin. We've gone so far away from God. Just something to think about. And and I want to be clear with this. No, we don't go around looking for sin, right? We're not people looking, sin sniffers, right? Looking for sin. But when we know a brother or sister in Christ is in a sinful lifestyle, Are we willing to gracefully share truth with them? It's a hard saying, isn't it? The word of God. That's why Jesus said, right? Enter by the narrow gate because wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. See, Jesus in John 1 would write that he came of grace and truth. See, he said he was, John wrote that he was full of grace and full of truth. See, church, that's what we also need. We need to be people who have the spirit that's willing to speak the truth of the word of God, but also full of the grace of God. Truth and grace. All right, let's turn back in our Bibles, back to Mark. So we're back, we are uh, all the way up to verse 4. Mark 1, verse 4. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching or proclaiming, some translations would say, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 5. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins, 
They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John's message was very clear and very simple. Repent and turn to God. Repent and turn to God. In the original language, which was Greek, the word repentance means to change one's way of life as a result of complete change of thought and attitude with regard to sin and righteousness. I know that was a lot to take in, so I did put a definition on the screen. It is a little bit long. I get that, but I wanted to just make it clear so that you could see it. Genuine repentance is a heartfelt change of mind and a willingness to forsake sin to open the way for a relationship with the almighty God. You see, it starts with repentance. Rather, you're an unbeliever or even a believer. We'll talk a little more about that. But it starts with repentance. And the word sin literally means to miss the mark, to wander from God's law, to violate God's law. That is literally what sin means. So on the screen, tried to put it simple. Sin is disobedience to the principles of the word of God. That's what sin is. Anything that is contrary to this word is sin. See, sin is any thought, motive, or even action that is contrary to God's word. See, God hates sin. I know that's hard for some people to let that settle. But God hates sin. But let me tell you why. God hates sin because he loves us so much. He loves you. And God knows what sin will do to your life. God wants the best for your life. And he knows that sin will destroy your life. See, God established his word to protect us. You see, when we come to Christ and we follow the principles in the word of God, we are free. Right? We're no longer slaves. We are free. That's what Romans says over and over again. We are free in Christ. James takes it a step further. And he writes that sin brings forth death. Maybe not physical death, although sin can do that. But a separation in our relationship with a holy God. That's what sin does for a believer. It's separation. We call that like a spiritual death. Or we're still alive. We're still, we're saved. We are believers. But when we do not turn from this sin, it destroys our life and eventually leads to death. And the penalty of that sin, Paul would tell us, it's death. To assess the reality of it, it's death. God takes sin seriously. But, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, there is always hope in Jesus. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 4 says that John baptized, which literally means immersed, be immersed underwater. 
the Jews who are willing to repent. This public declaration identified them with those who were preparing the way for the coming Messiah. So this is the time I just wanted to, to bring this up. I think it's important. If you've never been baptized, or maybe even you were sprinkled, the word immersion literally means to go under and come up, or maybe as a child, I'll just ask you to just pray about it. I would just pray about it, and I would encourage you to take a bold step of faith to be baptized. Romans 6 says that when we are baptized, we identify with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to a newness of life. There is a newness of life when we come out of that water. And it says our old nature has been crucified with Christ. And now we are no longer slaves of sin. That's what Romans 6 says, that when we are baptized, we come up a new creation. So our next baptism, I'm just going to throw it out there. You can go online. Is Sunday, March 17th. Just give you something to think about if you've never made that public declaration. That'll be right here at the church after our second service. A wonderful time. Last time, it was in the 50s, and we had 50-some people baptized. So just come and get baptized. It's a wonderful time. All right, verse 6. Some of you are thinking he's not going to make it. God is faithful. (laughs) Verse 6, John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. So John was a simple man who lived in the desert. He ate food that would have been sufficient to maintain life and the necessary strength needed to fulfill his calling. Just in case, maybe some of you are wondering, locusts, it's dried insects, okay? That's what it is. It's dried insects. It was very common for those who lived in desert regions. So if you want to try something new, you could try some locusts. Verse 7, and this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. We see here John knew his calling. He was not here for his own interest, but he was here to prepare the way for the Messiah. He would either even say in the Gospel of John. He must increase, and I must decrease. So we take a moment, call this a seal a moment, stop and think. Do you know God's calling for your life? God's calling for your life. Paul would said we, we are all his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you're not sure, if you don't know how God has called you to serve in the body of Christ, that doesn't mean serve here at CCM, the body of Christ. That could be definitely outside of here. I would just encourage you to just start praying and ask God to reveal to you his plans and his purposes for your life. You see, there is nothing better than being in the center of God's will for your life. As Paul would write, we, you, and I, we are his masterpiece. And he has good things planned for every one of us. Verse 8, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Here we see a contrast. John would baptize them in water, 
signifying an outward profession. But Jesus would baptize them with a life-giving spirit that indwells every believer of Christ. And we will take that a little bit further. Here we also see the fulfillment of prophecy that God would pour out his spirit on all people. I don't know about you, but I could tell you this excites me. Just think about this for a second. I'm going to put a passage up for you. This was written 800 years before Jesus was even born. It's in Joel 2.28. said, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. 800 years before Jesus ever came. And now John is saying that Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You see, church, the word of God is perfect. It never fails. When God speaks every bit of the word of God, will come to pass. It never fails. So we're only nine verses into the book of Mark, and we start reading about the public ministry of Jesus. He was about 30 years old at this time, and a lot of you probably are aware we don't know too much about his life from childbirth to this point. But there is a passage in Luke that gives us a glimpse of his life growing up. This is Luke 2.40. should be on the screen for you. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So Jesus was filled with wisdom and the grace of God. Now, some could sit back and say, of course, he was God. But think about this. This is the mystery of God that we must not forget. He was fully God, yet he was fully man. See, Philippians 2 says he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. He came to this earth to be one of us. And we read in the scriptures, he had physical limitations. He had emotions, temptations. We know he was hungry, thirsty, fatigued, sorryful, just to name a few. But as we think about this, I also want to see, put it up on the screen for you, John 5, 19. And this is what Jesus said about his father. Jesus gave them this answer. Very, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. Even though he was God, Jesus was completely dependent on the Father. Notice he says, I can do nothing apart from my Father. Now the only thing we know about Jesus' childhood is at the age of 12. Some of you may start thinking, thought there was something about 12. He was, we'll say, accidentally left behind in Jerusalem. And I know some of you parents are probably thinking, how could this happen? But remember, they traveled in caravans with many people. So as they left, they're thinking, oh, he's with this one, he's with that one. 
but they eventually discovered, right, that Jesus was missing. So this is what we know about his childhood. Now, I was just thinking about this. This is just me, okay? Can you just imagine Mary and Joseph? They go to pray. Father, we lost the Son of God. <laughs> and I was just for a moment thinking about that. I mean, they, they lost the Son of God. I mean, can you imagine trying to pray and ask God? But they go back to Jerusalem, right? And they find him in the temple. This is what we know about Jesus, right? With the teachers in the temple, and they were astonished at his understanding. That's what we know about Jesus till the age of 30. All right, verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. So very interesting. Even though Jesus was pure and sinless, he took upon himself the likeness of sinful man and was baptized as an example for every one of us today. In Corinthians, Paul would write, for he made him who knew no sin, right? Jesus knew no sin to be sin for us that we could become the righteousness of God in him. Verse 10. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. See, as Jesus was starting his ministry, the spirit of God came upon him and empowered him for the ministry that God had him to do. Even Jesus, right? He came as a man like you or me. He needed the empowerment of the Spirit of God. So it's a rem reminder to all of us, just like Jesus, we also need the anointing of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the work that God has planned for us to do. You see, we cannot do what God has called us to do in our own strength. See, and that's why Jesus, it's just amazing how the Bible interprets the Bible. But Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. And what was that? Where they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Right? He says, don't go out. You're not ready yet. You need the empowerment of the Spirit of God. This was that empowerment to accomplish the work that God had for them to do, and it's the same for us today. We need the empowerment of the Spirit of God to accomplish what he's called every one of us to do. Verse 12. At once, the Spirit sent him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals, and angels attended him. Okay, so that's all we got on that. So I'm going to give you some homework. Everybody looks up. Whoa, homework. Read Matthew 4 and Luke 4. Matthew 4 and Luke 4, because it's going to give you the details that we did not read tonight. Both of these passages go in detail of how Jesus was tempted by Satan. It's not in our passage tonight, so we're not going to talk much about it. But all I will say is that every time Jesus was tempted, 
He responded to Satan. It is written. It is written. Church, that's why we need to know the Word of God. There is power in the Word of God. Romans says that the power of the Word of God is living, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. So I just want to encourage you to use the sword, the Word of God. Verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. We read later in Mark's gospel, we'll get to that eventually, that John was put in prison for speaking against Herod's marriage to his brother's wife, Herodias. And she was so upset, right, she wanted to kill him. I'll spoil it. And eventually, she does. I think most of you know. She had him beheaded. So once John was in prison, Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. See, this purpose for which he came was to set up the kingdom of God amongst his people on earth. That's why Jesus came. He's setting up his kingdom on earth. Look back at what Jesus said back in that verse. It says, the time has come. The time has come. What time? The Old Testament prophecies of the promised Messiah were now being fulfilled right in front of their eyes. And Jesus was saying, the time has come. Repent and be baptized. See, here we see Jesus for the calling which God had called him to. He knew his purpose. He was here to establish the kingdom. Verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. 18. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and he left, they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. See, here we see Jesus calling his disciples to leave their occupation and follow him. How many of us right, would be willing to leave our livelihood to follow Jesus? See, notice that their obedience was prompt and sacrificial. They immediately gave up their whole occupation and gave their lives to follow Jesus. And now they had a new mission in life. They were now fishers of people, fishers of men. They were called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost world. And you know, church, that is the same for us today. When we follow Christ, we are also to become fishers of people.
That's what God has called us to. So our last point tonight is our mission in life is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, that is the mission for every single one of us in this room. The last words of Jesus says, go therefore, right? Go therefore. Share the good news. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is the calling for every one of us. We have the good news, church. We are called to be fishers of people. But maybe you're here tonight. Maybe a friend brought you. And you've never really made that decision. Maybe you've never really repented. Right? That repentance is a heartfelt change to forego sin. I just want to encourage you tonight. If you need to rededicate or to just get right with the Lord, please just come down and see me at the end of the service. I would love to just talk with you, pray with you. And next week, <clears throat> Pastor Dave Barnes will be back with us and he will pick up in verse 21. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you for tonight, for the powerful word of God that changes lives it transforms people's lives. I know some of these topics tonight can be difficult. But it is your word, Lord, that penetrates to the heart and soul of a person. Lord, our desire would be that not one would walk out of here tonight without being in a right relationship with you. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. Just pray that you would bless each and every one in here tonight. Make your face shine upon them. Be gracious to them and lift your countenance upon them. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you this weekend.